0: hello and welcome to the horizon church podcast we exist to see lives transformed through jesus and are located in the heart of surrey bc canada to find out more visit us at horizonchurch.ca we hope this message blesses and inspires you there you go hey welcome to church this morning uh i guess welcome midway through your church service you've been here with us uh thanks for joining us wherever you're joining us from uh it's an honor that we get to do church this way with you Um, And we are in the middle of a series called Dangerous Prayers. Dangerous Prayers. And Pastor Craig uh, kicked us off last week. And I want to ask you, um, if you missed last week, for whatever reason, there's lots of stuff going on. If you could, like, decide right now to just put it in your schedule and make time to go back and listen to that message. Uh, One, it was one of the best messages on the passage of, Lord, would you search me? Out of Psalms 139 uh, really sets up this this series, well, but also just where our church is at. Uh, it was so so good. Uh, I know I was going through. It was just, yeah, it was super good. So I really want to encourage you uh, to do that. And if I haven't met you, by the way, my name's Daniel. I like get said there up on the screen. Uh, I get to be the youth and young adult pastor here at Horizon <coughs> Church. But we've been in this series called Dangerous Prayers uh, around this idea of the last year. Obviously, it's been a little different, um, and it's caused some pressures, some changes, and a lot of different things. And say, what with there were some prayers, because Pastor Craig said last week, uh, we have very little control over the things around us, but we do have control for what we allow in us. And as we look at these three weeks of prayer, last week was Search Me, our dangerous prayer. And this week, um, we're going to go uh, into the next step of this. Um, you see, but I, 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 I think we tend to find ourselves after last week's, Lord, would you search me? Know me. See if there's any anxious way in my heart. And it ends by saying, lead me in your way everlasting. And if you're like me, you pray that prayer. Lord, would you search me? Oh, thanks. God. Okay. Anything that's, you know, probably not right. Okay, God, would you forgive me for that? Now, great. Lead me in the way everlasting. Um, the, in First Chronicles chapter 4, verses 10, the verse won't be up there, but it's known as the prayer of Jabez. You may never heard of Jabez, but I feel like a lot of the time in our culture, this is the prayer that we like to pray. And this is the prayer probably most of us there are hoping we will get to. It says, oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. Let your hand be with me and keep me from harm so that I will be free from pain. And in our haste to move to the good stuff or the way everlasting, I think we tend to miss a very vital part, a very important, dangerous prayer. But let's be honest, who wouldn't want to pray that? Lord, keep me from pain. Would you bless me? Would you be with me? But I think as that's an appropriate prayer, we can find lots of times throughout Scripture where that prayer is prayed, it tends to be focused maybe on the wrong thing. God, would you bless me? Lord, would you keep me from pain? God, would you guard me? Would you lead me in the way everlasting? And this morning, we're going to take a look at this prayer that I think we missed, that I'm confident most of us skipped. It might be a bold statement, uh, but I I can honestly say I've never had a conversation with someone and say, hey, could you just pray this for me? That has never happened in all my years of following Jesus. I would venture to say that most people have never actually prayed this prayer themselves. Uh, And if they have, it'd be hard to maybe say, I really meant it or would pray it more than once. And there may just be as many people, when they hear what this prayer is, you might actually disagree that it's okay to pray that. And so we're going to look at what the Bible has to say about this prayer. But I want to take it behind the scenes a little bit. When I sat down with Pastor Craig a couple months ago, we started talking about this series. He actually asked me to pray, uh, speak on a different message, a different week. Uh, and, but I heard this one. I was like, oh, I want that one. And I'll be honest, uh, the, the person who loves to study inside me was like, oh, that'd be a bit of a challenge. I got some cool things through study and communication. We do do that. That'd be great. And so he's like, okay. And he, you know, said, yeah, you can teach it. I'm like, awesome. So I go and was studying it for that week. It was really great. It wasn't until last Saturday when I sat down and I just really began to get into it that my heart sunk a little. And there's there's something to be said about preaching and it essentially can be boiled down to this. Uh, There's no power in it until you live it. Or you need to practice what you preach. And then it dawned on me that if I was going to lead you in this dangerous prayer this morning, it would have to be something that I have to pray myself first. And not just pray with lip service, but pray and actually mean it. And that prayer is this, Lord, would you break me? Now, there wasn't a confusion on there, Lord, would you break me? Break me is the title of our message today, and let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, even as I said that the temptation to swipe, to go to Instagram app or swipe down on Facebook or change the channel or or do whatever else. God, I pray that you would be with us this morning. I thank you that your promise remains true, that the words in this book are not my own, but they're yours. They're active, they're living. And as we look to your word and communicate your heart and your word, God, I thank you that it brings life to dead places. God, I thank you that it brings life and hope to hopeless situations. So God, as we go into this today, Lord, would you help me communicate your word the way that you would? And God, would you help us grow to follow you closer and deeper in Jesus' name? See, my heart in explaining the process and what I went through while preparing this message is so that you hopefully understand this is something, what I'm about to say is something I've wrestled with. The prayer I would like to lead us in at the end of the service, I prayed first myself. My goal is not to lead you in a prayer distant from my heart or my life but to invite you into a prayer that threatens my comfort as it will yours. To invite you into a prayer that I believe is near the heart of the gospel and gives me hope for the end of the verse that Pastor Craig talked about last week. It gives me hope that I might be able to walk in way everlasting. Not a temporal hope, not a temporal joy, but something that is eternal, that lasts. I believe this is a very important prayer. The prayer being, dear Lord Jesus, loving Father... Would you break me? Now, before you check out, like I said, or switch the app, or just go to Instagram and say, I'll check in next week, here's our goal today. I want to lay it out for you so you know where we're going. Number one is I want to define what I mean by break me. I think that's important. Uh, We're going to talk about this because based on as many different people are watching this, there could be that many different views or uh, backgrounds or understandings as to what I mean. So we'll get into that. Number two is I want to talk about are we actually called to be broken? That would be an important thing for those who follow Jesus. Is this something we are called to? Not just a good idea, but is this, is this part of following Jesus? Number three is, what is it? Uh, what needs to be broken? That's important as well. Because it's not just a break in everything. You know, okay, what needs to be broken? Anyone who's uh, done like a deconstruction of a house knows that it's not just demolition everywhere. There's certain things that need to be broken. Certain things need to be preserved. And fourth, why we need to be broken. What's the point? Why, why is that? And our bottom line today is this. And I, say, I, I know that when I say it this first time, there may be some questions. My hope is by the end of this morning's message, you'll be able to pray this and understand and actually mean it and welcome Holy Spirit to do it. Our bottom line today is this. There are certain things Jesus can't give you in blessing that he can only give you in breaking. There are certain things, not as many amens, that Jesus can't give you in blessing, that he can only give you in breaking or through breaking. Now, we got a bit to get through. So if you got your journal, you can do this. And if I am I know I can tend to be a bit of a motor mouth, so I talk too quickly. The beauty of this is you can go back, pause me, write it down, play me, pause me, play me. Not when I'm live, but after you can do that. So number one, what do I mean by breaking? Because culturally, I think when we hear this word breaking, we think of a couple things. When you break something, it no longer works. I was a kid that with all my toys, I had to know what their limit was. And the only way of uh, testing their limit of strength was to go past their limit of strength. And then you're like, okay, that was how much I could bend that before it snapped. And that ended with me having a lot of broken toys that were useless. When we think of breaking, I think sometimes we think this is just going to be broken, it's going to be done, like there's no more use for it. Uh, You can either try and get it fixed, but it never really functions. The tape that I would put around my toy normally wouldn't function the same way it used to, or it's not quite the same, or you just throw it away because it's now useless. Now, biblically, I want to look at a little bit of what breaking means because I think it's important. Culturally, that's what we look at, but biblically, the word here is uh, a kleeson, or a kleeson, and it has this sense, to break, to become broken, to take place, to lay hands on, to shatter, to smash, to crush, to break into pieces, or to open. Now, for those that were hoping that the biblical understanding of break was a little bit more kind, it's not. But as we get into this, uh, as you see by the end of the day, the prayer is not intended to break you as a person. This is important. So that you will be useless or thrown away, as culture would say. To say that, that prayer, Lord, would you break me? Some are like, well, why would God do that? Why? That's cruel. That's not loving. What's going on? But to be clear, the biblical meaning of breaking is to shatter completely to make sure it no longer exists. But what we are not talking about is you as a person. We're not asking you to pray a prayer, God, destroy me, just take me out. That's not what we're talking about this morning. It is, however, a prayer to invite Jesus to break, as in the Greek meaning we just looked at, one thing for the betterment of another thing. To remove, to eradicate one aspect so that another aspect can flourish the way it was meant to flourish. And again, I want to be careful this morning. What I'm not talking about is the results of a sin-cursed world all the time. Cancer. This, the, the terrible things that can happen that are breaking moments. I'm not saying that Jesus intended that or we're supposed to ask God for that. Because somehow that's going to bring benefit. That's, that's not what I'm talking about this morning. What I'm talking about is how Jesus invites us into this. So that's, that's what I mean by breaking. And number two, are we called to be broken? I think some, I've talked to some people, I've read of some people that would think that this prayer is not even right for a Christian to pray. No, 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 I live in blessing, I live in this, and, and that's true, and, and God's a loving Father, we shouldn't do this. Um, but A.W. Tozer, uh, an author and a theologian, says this, it is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he hurts him deeply, or wound him, or, or to break him. You see, this is a tough message because our culture around us worships this ideal of utopia. It worships this idea that as technology advances, as we get liberated and we get intellectual, that we can make our lives better. And with technology has come a lot of comfortable things. I'm glad that I have the tool of my phone and I can do that. But, but if we're not careful, we can take the lens of culture being everything is a means to the utmost goal and that goal being my comfort. And we can look at the Bible with that same lens and we find ourselves hopelessly misunderstanding not only the words of Jesus, but the gospel itself. See, for those who follow Jesus this morning, we must be careful where we take our cues from. So rather than saying, I don't like the way that sounds, we should first ask, is this prayer biblical? That's probably good. Is it biblical? Is it a follower of Jesus? This is my guide. This is the words of Christ for me to bring life. So I should understand, is this in the Bible? Now, as I searched through the Bible, I couldn't find a single, maybe it's my translation, but I didn't find a single prayer where Jesus said, hey, this is what you need to pray. You need to pray, God, would you break me? And I think we'll stop there. No, ha! it's not in the Bible. Prayer's not there. Can't do it. I don't need to do it. But we also need to look at the example of the Bible. Here's just a a brief, just a few people. I think it's maybe just a few places in the Bible we can see this. See, Abraham was barren, so his wife said to sleep with the maid, had a son. His wife gets angry at him. After the miracle son Isaac's born, his wife makes him send his first son away to never be seen by him again. His son, he does get the miracle son, but then God asks him to kill him. Spoiler alert, he didn't actually do it, but he would have. uh, Given huge promises of descendants covering the earth, but wanders around as a nomad until he dies. Little bit of brokenness in his story. Sarah, see Abraham's crazy wife that wanted him to sleep with his uh, with her servant. She's barren until she's ninety. Moving down to Sarah, who's married to Isaac. Sarah, or sorry, Lot which was Abraham's wife. His wife, in a turmoil situation, angels come to get out of the town. We're gonna burn it to death. As he's running, his wife like, oh, has a crink in her neck, turns back, pillar of salt, gone. And that's a little bit crazy. Uh, And then he becomes the grandpa slash dad to his two daughters' babies. Read it. It's in Genesis. It's good stuff. Side note. uh, A lot of people believe when you read the Bible, one of the proofs that it's accurate and it's true is you would not include stuff like this if you were lying. There's no way that you would include Lot's daughters getting him drunk and then sleeping with him and getting pregnant to help the family line go through. The humanity that we see in the Bible proves its accurateness. Side note, Rachel goes on there, uh, and you have, so Isaac, and then Jacob, uh, Rachel, her sister marrieds her love, tricking him, she was meant to get married, but her sister married him, said, she then gets married uh, to him second, but after her sister did, she then can't have a baby for a while, while her sister's fertile myrtle, and every time she looks at her husband, she gets pregnant, starts popping out babies everywhere, finally, she gets one of her own, and Joseph, and her second baby, Benjamin, then she dies, during childbirth. So there's Rachel. Uh, You know, super blessing, protective, no pain. Uh, Jacob, chased out of his home, tricked by his uh, father-in-law to marry the ugly daughter first. Then he gets the love of his wife in Rachel. Then physically broke by angels, struggles to have a baby with the wife that he loves. Meanwhile, kids are popping out everywhere with the other three women he's sleeping with. Finally conceives with Rachel his love while she's delivering the second baby. She dies, suffers the loss of his most beloved son. Spoiler alert, he actually didn't. His other beloved sons just lied to him to make him think that he did die. Speaking of that son, you got Joseph, beloved son, betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery, wrongly accused, put in prison, and then forgotten for three years. Great life. Moses, abandoned by his mother into a river, chased out of Egypt for trying to do the right thing, develops a stutter, wanders around the desert, uh, mistrusted by the people that he leads. He disobeyed one moment in doing something wrong, and then he missed out on the promised land, and that's just the book of Genesis. Brokenness is a theme in the Bible. Brokenness is what God uses to prepare people for the work that he has for them. We could go into the book of Job, just read it, the whole book. You got Aaron that had his two sons murdered and he didn't even get to mourn his sons because they lit the candle with the wrong lighter. You got Ruth that loses her husband and then has to go live with her mother-in-law. Some of you are saying, Amen, I feel for you, Ruth. Not me, I love my mother-in-law. David, his father didn't believe in him. He's constantly on the run as his best friend slash father-in-law is try, his best friend's dad slash father-in-law. It's always trying to kill him. After he becomes king, he messes up, he gets pregnant, that son dies his kids start killing each other and then if that's not enough his one son runs him out of his kingdom takes all of his wives sleeps with him in public brokenness that's David he's one of our heroes you got Esther who gets, who gets married and then some cruel man tricks her husband and the king to try and, try and eradicate all of her people you skip ahead to the New Testament. Let's not get into even just Mary and Joseph. It wasn't their dream wedding. We'll just say that. You think you're a COVID bride and your wedding looked different? Try going to your wife who said she's pregnant, but God did it. And then you have a dream, and God says it happened. You're like, okay. You have this baby, and all of a sudden the king's trying to kill him, so you got to flee. Like this is life. And then we come to Jesus. Now this is where some people say, "Great, Daniel, the breaking you talked about—that was Old Testament." I get that God did breaking, but that's why He sent Jesus. His son, he was broken, so we don't have to be anymore. No, we, we, we get blessing now. That was the old covenant. That, that's, not, that's not the God we serve now. But it's interesting. We need to look to Jesus, not only to biblically if, it's pro, if we need to do this. The second thing we need to look to is look to Jesus to see if, if, if this is actually something we're called to. If you want to turn to Mark 14, we're going to get there. But a few things about Jesus that I think are important for each follower of Jesus to understand is he represents kind of three things for us. Number one is Jesus is our Savior, right? He lived a sinless life. He died as our sin so that we could become the righteousness of Christ, the Word tells us. He paid for our sin. Not only that, but he resurrected. He beat death, and he offered us new life. Forgives us of our sins. He is our Savior. But it doesn't stop there. He's also our Lord, which means that, yes, he did and he saved us, but he has an expectation that he is now in control, that he now leads, that he now guides, that how we live our life, the rest of our life here on earth is meant to be led by the Holy Spirit, is meant to be led by Jesus. But that's not it. He's also our example. And this is what I think we miss sometimes. We love Jesus, our Savior, and if we trust him, we're okay with our Lord. But Jesus is our example, which means the life he lived looks a whole lot like the life we are meant to live. That he was the first fruit of how we are called to live. Keep that in mind. We can go to Mark chapter 14, verse 22. Jesus is uh, days before, uh, days away from his execution. It says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread. And while he had given thanks, he broke bread and gave it to the disciples saying, take it, it is my body. Then he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and said, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. In Luke's rendition in chapter 22, he actually says, he adds this, do this in remembrance of me. And we actually see that this happened because in Acts 2.42, it's listed as one of the four things the church spent their time on. In 1 Corinthians, Paul's actually addressing how they take what is called the Lord's Supper or what we call a communion. And again, there's, there, you won't find a theologian that would say, well, uh, that's not what Jesus meant there. We understand that he says, do this in remembrance of me. is saying, when you gather together, take this, remember the sacrifice, live life in light of this. But there are also some scholars that believe that Jesus meant more than one thing when he said this. When he said, do this in remembrance of me, Jesus was days away from his execution, giving his final instructions to his disciples. And many believe when he took the bread, he said, this is my body broken. Do this in remembrance of me, he's saying, you too will be broken. You're called to follow me in brokenness. You're called to follow me in a life that is poured out. That he's saying that Jesus sets it out here, and we see that this is not foreign to the teachings of Jesus elsewhere. In Matthew chapter 16, 24, it says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Again, not just leading of your life as, my, as our Lord, but my example. Remember, Jesus is speaking this to first century Jewish people. This is his disciples. He's literally saying, when I walk out this door, follow me. Do what I do. Talk the way I talk. Act the way that I act. And verse 20 says, for whoever wants to save their life, which our culture is all about, comfort, will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. Again, in John 12, we're not going to get in verse 23 uh, to 28. We see that Jesus says, hey, listen, there's a seed. And unless a seed goes into the ground and dies, it remains just a seed. But if it can go into the ground and die, it will produce many more seeds. He's talking about this brokenness and and what his body was about to do because Jesus walking around the earth as one person could do a lot of good. But the reason that Jesus, our seed, needed to go into the ground, literally into death, to be broken. Because out of his brokenness, new life would come up. And it was not just one person, but it was now available to all of us. The sins of humanity had a cure, and it was in Jesus. But it was only through his brokenness that we see this happen. And at the, at the, uh, in verse uh, 27 of John chapter 12, it says, Now my soul is troubled, He's saying this isn't easy. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Should I pray the prayer of Jabez? says, no, it was for this reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. We see that our example understood that his comfort was not as important as his calling. That he existed to glorify the Father. We see that Jesus knew very well That for him to fulfill the purpose for which his father had sent him, he would need to be broken. And Jesus didn't stop there. He let those who desire to follow him then and today know that they are also called to brokenness. You and I are called to be broken. Now we move on to what needs to be broken. I think it's important if we know what breaking means, and we know that if we're actually called to it, now we know as those who follow Jesus, this is something we're called to. We should understand what needs to be broken in us. We see in, uh, we talked about this before, this beautiful passage in John chapter 15, where Jesus is setting up a story and it reads this. It says, I am the vine, Jesus speaking of himself. My father is the gardener. So in this analogy, in this illustration, God is the gardener. He says, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. What needs to be broken? Those that bear no fruit. That's another way of saying your pride. That's another way of saying the idols in your life. You see, God is a gardener here, and a wild tree and a vine, this is interesting, we talked about this a little bit before, if you've been with us for the last couple of years, is that a wild vine, not in a vineyard, a wild tree, it will grow wild. It won't be very fruitful, but it will grow very wild. Why? Because if it's not pruned, if it's not looked after, the tree in and of itself will use up all of the sap or the life inside of it, the energy, to grow foliage. Branches, leaves. It'll be a huge tree. But the problem is it taps the well, so to say, of life. And it doesn't have energy to produce fruit. But Jesus, again, in Psalms, it says that we'll be trees planted by streams of living water. That word planted is transplanted. A tree that once was wild has been transplanted into a garden now where it doesn't get to grow the way it used to. But it's under the care and the guidance of the gardener. Because there's a purpose, not just foliage, but it's fruit. And so we're called. And Jesus says, Hey, listen, if you don't bear fruit, another way of putting this is what are the idols in your life? The things that you give your energy to that aren't producing the fruit you ought to be. And I think a beautiful illustration of why this happens to us, because I think it's easy. We say, Oh, great. Yeah, there's the sins. There's that. Like, oh, you know, I don't cuss. I don't sleep around. I don't look at pornography. I don't do this or that. And uh, I, I think I'm good. We, I, I think I'm fine. Well, do you take Sabbath? Or are you too busy? Do you walk in peace? Because that's one of the fruits of the Spirit. Are you anxious? Are you kind? Are you quarrelsome? Or you do this? You see, it's not just these big sins that need to be broken off our life. And here's why I believe this. If we go back to that very first verse we went into in Mark at the uh, the Last Supper, it says, while they were eating, Jesus took. That word there, I think, unlocks something for us. The Hebrew word means to take, to grasp, to seize, to take possession of, to become an heir of, to overthrow, or to assume control. And there's something as you study the Bible called the first mentioned principle, which means the first time a word is mentioned is normally pretty significant. So we look back, and I did a little research, going, okay, where was this? There was like, like 400 words or uh, verses where this is used, but the first two are this. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 15, it says, the Lord God took man because he was his, under his control, and put him in the Garden of Eden to work and to keep it. And later on the same chapter, chapter 2, verse 21, it said, The Lord God caused Adam to go into deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of his ribs. You want to talk about ownership? Jesus, like, hey, I gave you that rib, give it back. And he takes it. And he says, uh, in the place of his flesh. But the next time we see took is very significant. Because the next time we see took, this word took, is in relation to humans doing the taking rather than being taken. And I think it sets it up here. What are our idols? What's this idea? The first time humans try to take something in possession in and of themselves is Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. And it says this, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was also to be desired to make one wise, when she saw that it would make her comfortable, when it would make her life better, she thought, God, he doesn't have my best interest in mind. He doesn't get what I'm going through. It's good. It's pretty. It'll give me things that I want. It said she took of its fruit And ate, she also gave some to her husband who was with her. See, the first mention of the Hebrew word for took in relation to humans as the one doing the taking or the possessing of something is when Eve saw the fruit and took the apple. This is significant because it speaks to the selfish, self-focused nature of fallen humanity. Our search for desire and control. From the time Eve took the apple and sin entered the heart and souls of humans until now, our sinful nature has been unquenchable in its thirst for control. We constantly want to take. We constantly want to do our own thing. We constantly want to do that. When we avoid prayers like break me, it is a good indicator that we still believe that lie that Eve did, that God does not have my best interests in mind and I know a better way. Dan, you don't understand. There's a lot going on in my company. It's busy. It's booming right now. We we just got to hustle hard. Hustle is not a kingdom value. Busyness is not a kingdom value. Find me a verse where Jesus is stressing and running from one location to the next. And I think he had a little bit more on his plate than you and I. I, I, I know how to do it better. No, Daniel, I, I get it, but they're wrong. I need to let them know on their Facebook comments that I disagree with what they say. You don't understand. I got to set the record straight. See, following Jesus' invitation is first and foremost to surrender control to the point where we are completely in his control and uses us as he wishes, the same way he did with Adam in 2.15 and 2.21. See, why does Jesus need to break you and I? Because sin at its conception was the decision to take control from God and salvation is to willingly give that control back. Say, God, I surrender. Use me the way you need to. So we grab hold. Why does Jesus need to break it? Because we think we know better. We grab hold of things we think look good or are pleasing and will fulfill us and we ignore the one who made us. We need to be broken. You see, we spend our lives, time, energy, strength, minds pursuing selfish things that please sin and flesh. Jesus, again, this is the analogy of the fruit that doesn't, or the branch that doesn't produce fruit. And before we come to Jesus, this is our life. This is the focus that how can I make myself comfortable? How I can be pleased? As long as no one gets hurt, it's great. That's what our culture says. But when we come to Jesus, that changes. Because before, we used to put all of our energy into pursuing what we want, hoping it would produce the fruit that we're looking for. We want the fruit of the Spirit, but we're producing the fruit of the flesh, as Galatians talks about. It's a long list of things that we just want a comfortable life, but I I keep getting interrupted and this and that. I I, I want a great marriage, but I also want to be able to look at pornography when I want to. And I, I want this, but don't tell me, I don't want to deal with my issues. You just need to deal with that. All of these things. We want the fruit that the gardener brings, but we want control to grow as as we would please. See, this is why we need to surrender our lives to Jesus, to humbly ask him to forgive and bring us into a new way of thinking. Craig Rochelle says this. He says, let me remind you, this this is not advanced Christianity. Brokenness is not just for monks and missionaries. Brokenness is actually the first step. It's basic Christianity. The gospel is an invitation to come and die die to your sins, die to your past, die to your flesh, and die to your fears. And Jesus says, for those who don't, you can have no part of me. What I have to offer is the vine and the life and the hope and the way everlasting that we ended with last week. You don't get that if you don't bear fruit. And the only way you can bear fruit is if you abide in me. But Jesus doesn't just stop there in this analogy. It's not just those that don't bear fruit that need to be broken, because some of us like, great, I follow Jesus, I try and do my best to do him, I'm good. He says, Great, for those who don't bear fruit, you're broken off, you're thrown in. Hey, but for those who do bear fruit, you are also broken. This is humility, this is pruning. See, when we come to Jesus, there are initial kingdom fruits, like most of us, the fruit of repentance. When we worship for the first time, like, oh, God, this feels so good. Like, your presence, you're leading, you're reading the Bible, it's coming alive. But Jesus also knows that sin nature is not skin deep. It goes deeper. And we taste and we start to produce some of the fruits. We think, oh, we're good. Took care of my sin. I'm not going to hell maybe one day. Uh, I love the presence of Jesus. And on my taxes, I'll put Christianity. And I think we're good. And, but I can still know whoa, whoa, how I deal with my money, how I deal with my relationships, how dare you say I can't have sex before I'm married, like the Christian sex ethic, how to deal with family, politics, all, how to deal with justice, all of those things. Like, whoa, 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 no, no, I, I produced some fruit, I'm good. See, but Jesus knows we're still human. And there are areas of our lives and hearts that still are wild vines. This is the consequence of a sin in our world. And Jesus knows that our natural inclination will be to produce fruit of flesh, selfish growth, the foliage, rather than spiritual fruit. So he prunes us. He breaks us says, hey, that's great, but a prune, a gardener will prune uh, uh, the little bit of branch that has a bit of fruit so that it can produce more fruit, that this is the heart of the gardener. In 2 Corinthians, Paul, he talks about this. In chapter 1, verse 3 to 11, he's talking about, hey, listen, he's talk, in the intro to his letter, read it. It's very good, um, this, uh, just how it sets up this chapter. He says, listen, I don't want you to be unaware of what I'm going through. This is Paul. He's the apostle. He's planting churches. And he says, we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired life itself. Indeed, we felt like we had reached or received the sentence of death. You want to talk about breaking. But this happened, he says, but there's a reason. But this happened, why? That we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead in verse 10 it says on him we have set our hope why did i go through this paul's not saying this sucked but god helped me in the middle he goes no god allowed this he caused this to break me of my self-reliance again as we raise children we want them to be independent but as followers of jesus we need to reverse that We need to not be, I can do it on myself, I don't need you, God. No, we need to say, God, would you break me of my idea that I can do it, that I'm good enough, that I don't need you, that I can depend on myself. Apostle Paul says, this is why I was broken. You can read it later in the book to 2 Corinthians, where he talks about his thorn in the flesh. He said, God gave this to keep me humble, so I don't try and depend on myself. Paul, like us, even after following Jesus, had the habit of self-reliance rather than Holy Spirit reliance. And he welcomed and understood that the Holy Spirit still needed to break him. Because at the end of the day, breaking's coming. See, Jesus says, if you don't bear fruit, you'll be thrown away in kindling. If you do bear fruit, you're getting pruned. See, that breaking is something we're called to. Elena, if you can come up on the keys. See, pruning happens to the young and to the old, which is interesting. If you look in a garden, because I think sometimes if you follow Jesus, why well, I'd be like, yeah, amen, Daniel. I remember when I was broken, and we think that we're good. Do you know with an apple tree, the older the tree, the more expectation for fruit?
1: Oh, I should have seen
0: me in my heyday. It's not how trees work. It's not how following Jesus works. You should be producing more fruit the longer you follow Jesus as you submit to the pruning that produces more and more life. You see, I think when it comes to broken, being broken, we can tend to be like Zoe when she's getting her diaper changed. Zoe's my daughter. And this last year, 2020, be like, oh, amen, breaking. It's great. Do you know that just because you're going through a hard time doesn't mean you surrender to the breaking of God? that God could intend and allow something into your life that's meant to break you, but you can resist him. You see, Zoe, she hates getting her diaper changed. Uh, She's got a poopy diaper, like she just, uh, and it's like, I'm her father, I know that if she keeps it on, she's gonna get rash, it's gonna be terrible, this needs to change. But she begins to flail, she does this alligator roll where she'll pin her legs up, which like pinches the diaper, which makes it worse. And then she starts to roll. And she's fighting, she's fighting, I don't want it, I don't want it, I don't want it. And and try as she might, and she does sometimes, she's getting changed. Like there's no situation where a loving father would be like, Oh, oh, sorry one-year-old, you don't want your diaper changed. I'll just leave you soiled. I'll just leave you like this. But because I'm a father who loves her, she's getting changed either way. The only difference is when she resists, it takes longer and it makes a mess. And some of you, as I said that, you look back in your life and you say amen because you've ran from the, the breaking of God. You've fought the breaking of God. And it's elongated the period of time where God wanted to bring things into your life. And it's made a mess. God will break you one way or the other. The question is, are you going to partner with Him in humility? Or will He have to drive you to your needs and your pride so that it's finally broken? And again, before you think, oh, great, God, break me, that's great. Now you don't have to. No, there's things that we can gain. And we learn, and the fruitfulness of our life is exponentially more when we surrender and submit Say, God, I'm willing to surrender. I'm not going to fight you on this. I don't like this. It hurts. As Paul said, I, I, I thought it was a sentence of death. I despaired life. But I didn't allow my pain to confuse me of the heart of God. God, you're still good. As Pastor Craig talked last week, you won't pray that prayer. Search me unless you trust him. What are the areas of your life that need to be broken? What are the areas of control where you still grasp to take when God is asking you to let go? If you're not sure, here's just some of the fruits of taking. Sexual immorality, lustful thoughts, pornography, chasing after things instead of God, manipulating others, hatred of those who get in your way, senseless arguments. Come on, somebody. Resentment when others are favored. Temper tantrums, angry quarrels, only thinking of yourself. Being in love with your own opinion. Oh my God, if there's one thing that could encapsulate our culture right now, it would be that. Being envious of the blessings of others. Murder, uncontrolled addictions. And not just to pornography or alcohol, but to your phone, to Instagram, to busyness, to being distracted to not allowing any minute of silence because when there's silence, you're left with your thoughts and with God and you're not sure what's gonna happen. What are your addictions? That's one of the reasons that we're in fasting and praying. Yes, it's to seek the heart of God and to grow closer, but it also breaks our hand. And when we want to take the things that we want, it denies ourselves. It says, God, I'm willing to be broken in my flesh that I might be whole in my spirit. God, would you come and break? What areas of your life Need to be producing fruit where maybe a decade ago they did, but right now they're not. Why do we need to be broken? So that we can produce more fruit. Jesus ends in John, says so that it will be even more fruitful. When you are a wild vine or unsaved, you before you follow Jesus, we got to do our own thing. But we started by saying Jesus is not just our savior. We've been brought into his garden. He's now our Lord. He calls the shots and he's our example called to follow it. You have a mandate on your life to produce kingdom fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. These are the things that God demands of your life. And in the moments, because he is loving, because he cares, when you are not producing the way you should be, he brings a breaking. Because in Philippians, There it is in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. It says, not that I have already obtained this. We're not perfect. Or have already arrived at my goal. But I press on to take hold of that which Christ took hold of me. And in our sin we say I can do this better I got this I want my this is good for me it feels good I want this pleasure and then we're called to follow Jesus and he says Paul says you're called to take hold of that calling not discomfort but you can't grab a hold of the calling while you're firmly grasping your comfort so a loving father who knows what's best who does not just see this life here on earth but sees into eternity says my son my daughter I love you enough to break your grasp of control so that you can grasp my calling so that you can walk in ways everlasting so you can know the hope and the truth and the strength and the life that Jesus brings we're called to produce fruit but it only comes through breaking See, if you were to ask someone like a Mike and a Cherith in our church, maybe a Marvin or a Ruth or an Alex or a Sue or a Colby or a Diana, people that I look up to as heroes of faith of a Craig or a Shanda, and you say, what shaped your walk with Jesus the most? It won't be when God was, when God miraculously provided, although he has. I don't think it would be the moments where God used them greatly, although he has won't be when God protected them although he has I think it would be the moments where God broke them and in the moment like Paul says I despised life but I trusted God and now looking back I wouldn't change that breaking for the world Because certain things Jesus can't give you in blessing can only give it to you in breaking our bottom line. There are certain things Jesus can't give you in blessing, but he can only give it to you in and through breaking. If you're watching today, maybe you don't follow Jesus, this might be an interesting message, but I want to let you know, and I believe because I believe the power of this word, not in my own ability to communicate. you're watching, you don't follow Jesus, something's stirring in your heart right now. I want to let you know that's the Holy Spirit. He's welcoming you into his garden to use our analogy today. And I want to let you know it's one of the biggest decisions you'll make, so it's right to be trembling and fearful, but you can trust the gardener He loves you. He already went first to prove his trust for you when he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross. We started with this scene of a dinner where Jesus is breaking bread and it was a symbol of what he was about to do on the cross. He went and he died for your sin and he was buried in the grave and his death paid for your past life. There's nothing that's too big for God but he didn't stop there. The father, the gardener, rose him back to life and that means there's a new life available for you if you would simply come and surrender. So if that's you, I'd love to lead you in this prayer that simply says Jesus I'm a sinner I know all too well what it means to grasp and to take what I want but God that's only led me to brokenness so God I ask would you come right now and would you break that off of me, would you come and forgive me of my sins That I might be alive again in Christ. That I might go and follow the call that you have put on my life, as Paul said in Philippians, to, to reach for that rather than my own control and comfort. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that today, we have chat hosts that are watching on Facebook, YouTube, Twitch. And they would love to talk to you. And I would encourage you, if you don't have a friend, maybe say, hey, I prayed that prayer. Maybe right now just put up a wave hand and and they will direct. That's all you need to do in the public chat. They will message you separately. because we'd love to walk through with you. This is an incredible thing that Jesus is doing. And lastly for us, I want to lead you in a prayer today. And, And there's going to be a bit up on the slide. I'm going to leave it for about 30, 45 seconds. I want you to read it to pause, and then to pray it. And then we're done. There's there's a couple more slides. I'll read it, and I want to invite you wherever you're watching right now to pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I thank you for your faithfulness to hear my cry. And as a loving father, answer my prayer when I pray according to your will. Lord, I trust you. I trust that you know best and love me more than I can comprehend, which is why even through trembling lips, I ask, would you break me? Give 15 seconds. Go back to the last one. 15 seconds with you and Holy Spirit to make this prayer your own. Would you break me of my self-reliance, my flesh, my sin? Would you break the parts of me that think I know a better way? Would you break my desire to lust after the things of this world and after the things of flesh? I feel like Holy Spirit's just going to speak to some of you with some specific things. That prayer that we prayed last week, as that prayer is still up there to search me, God's going to begin to reveal some things he'd like to break off of you. And lastly, would you break me of anything that would keep me from you? and walking in the call you have for me. I trust you. I love you, Jesus. Thank you for leading me in the way everlasting. Amen. Father, would you come and break us? God, the moments where we try and squirm like Zoe, would we trust you? in the humility surrender to you, knowing that you know best. We love you to be with us this week in Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed this message from Horizon Church. To find your next step, visit horizonfam.ca. Have a great week.